Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. So 2 Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 6 for a few minutes here. And um, there's a passage here that, uh, that I love, and it, it's, it's kind of one of those encouraging, um, edifying kicks in the rear end that we all need. And just a reminder, because how many of you guys know that no matter how often we hear the word, we need to hear it again? Amen? And no matter how many times we've heard one passage preached, we probably need to hear it again. And so, Father, help us to receive it again, not just to hear it again, but to really be listening and to really allow it to, to sink into our heart of hearts, Lord. I pray for a spirit of conviction in this room. God, I pray from, from our elders and our staff and our, and our leaders and our overseers and our department heads and, and God, all the way to folks who are walking in this room for the very first time this morning, I pray that we would hear your heart in this and that we would be changed and transformed by it. Holy Spirit, do what only you can do in this room. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, and I'm going to begin reading in, um, in verse 12. So, Paul says this. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. This is 1 Corinthians, not 2. Hey, this isn't my Bible. <laughs> I thank God for Jamal, because... Out of all the people that have offered me Bibles, Jamal is the only one who's offered me an NASB. <laughs> My Bible is still in the hospital. It had to be air flighted down to New Jersey and where it is undergoing surgery. And the Lord has prepared a new leather covering for my Bible as well. Thank you, Jesus. Second Corinthians chapter 6. Second Corinthians, that's the one with the two eyes in front of it. Chapter 6, here we go, verse 11. Our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us. Who is the us? Who is the we? Who is the our? It's Paul and the apostles. It's Paul and uh, those who were ministering alongside of him. The leadership of the church in Corinth. And the leadership of the early church period. Uh, a, a lot of ministry was taking place. Folks were traveling around. Um, there were like circuit riders. There were apostles. There were pastors. And he is speaking on behalf of those who have been doing ministry. He says, our mouth has spoken freely to you, O Corinthians. Our heart is open wide. You are not restrained by us, but you are restrained in your own affection." Interesting. You are restrained in your own affections. I want to talk about this for a second because I feel a restraint in the body. I feel a constraint in the body. And that word restrained, um, it, it's a Greek word that comes from, uh, it means cramped or compressed or in a narrow place. Okay, And here's something interesting that I think we need to, to, to carry with us. This word, uh, stenokoreo, all right, stenokoreo, the only other place it's used in Scripture, which is important, and the first place it's used in Scripture is two chapters earlier when Paul talks about that passage that we sing about, that we talk about, that we know so well, 4-8, when he says, I'm pressed down but not crushed, perplexed but not in despair, persecuted, not abandoned, Struck down but not destroyed. 
Well, that pressed down but not crushed, that word crushed comes from this stenokoreo, this same word. Now, we love Paul saying that he is pressed down and not crushed and persecuted and not abandoned and, and struck down but not destroyed. We love that and we want to own that. But how many of you in this room as believers, you feel like you're pressed down and crushed, yeah. struck down and, and destroyed, persecuted and sometimes abandoned? It's like, wait a minute, but I, I'm not getting the, the, the juxtaposition here. I'm not getting the, the, the irony of how whatever is brought against me doesn't actually affect me. And so I, I think that two chapters later, after Paul's talking about himself being pressed but not crushed, he says, we've been open with you guys. Our hearts have been wide open with you. And it's not us who are constraining or restraining or crushing you. It is your own affections. If there's any crushing still going on in the church of Jesus Christ today, it is not anything but our own affections. It's important. Now, Paul's point is that what God wants for us is freedom. And I'll say it this way because of this metaphor. He wants a full range of motion. What we want for ourselves brings that crushing oppression and restriction. And we... we like the, the picture that's been painted for us over the years of how, um, you know, we all know that religion is oppressive. We all know that it was that sort of pharisaical spirit that, that really crucified Jesus. And so we've done, uh, we've gone to great lengths to make sure that, that we are um, aware of that thing and how uh, it was always held at bay or sort of like right on the cusp of bringing influence into the early church or just downright bringing too much influence in the early church. So we know that that, that religion thing is there. But what's interesting is that our own affections are what actually opens the door for anything to bring oppression into our lives. Our own affections. Okay, so that word affections. That word affections... Uh, it literally means bowels or intestines, which is interesting. It's usually used metaphorically, except in places where it talks about when Judas hung himself, and that's what came out, or his affections. It's interesting. There is a man behind the curtain. Pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. I hear Oz back there. Bowels and intestines. Why? Because... The ancient world believed that our most violent and passionate emotions, things like anger, love, jealousy, grief, that they came from down here. In fact, you'll hear things like the psalmist talk about uh, how my bowels uh, groan and cry out for you from, from this deep seat of feeling, this, this place that, that where the spirit dwells. And if you've, uh, if you've ever done yielding, depending on who you had, who sort of prayed you through some of that, you know, we talk about that, that place that catches you when you're about to fall. If you've ever stood up and you start to fall backward, the place that catches you, it's in here. It's your affections. 
It's what you want, what you desire. The Hebrew people took it a step further than, than the rest of the ancient world, and they believed even the more delicate of feelings, even the, more, even the more tender of emotions were seated here, kindness, benevolence, mercy, compassion, sympathy, things like that, that they were sourced in this inner man. And I think it's interesting that be it these violent, more passionate things or the tender, delicate feelings that we have, somehow Paul is pointing at those things and saying, if you're feeling oppressed, if you're feeling like you're pressed down and crushed, the opportunity has been given by your feelings, by your innermost desires. All right, Zach, so how does feeling constrained, how does feeling constrained, uh, uh, or how does feeling these feelings actually restrict us? How does uh, like expressing these emotions or, or giving way to these emotions actually uh, shackle us in a way that, that actually denies us the freedom that our walk with the Lord is intended to give us? How? How do they handicap what the Lord wants for us? And I'll tell you how. It's because our affections yoke us to the world. Now, our mouth has spoken freely to you, he says. Our heart is open wide. You're not restrained by us. You're restrained in your own affections. And now in like exchange, I speak to you as children, open wide to us also. And he says open wide because they're getting ready to swallow a big pill. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? And what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, verse 17, and he's quoting scripture of old, he says, come out from their midst and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be your father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. There's something so inviting about the unconditional love of God. There's something that we will sit back with a glass of milk and cookies. Do any adults in here still drink milk? We, I was out to eat with uh, a small group the other day, and Pastor Holly was there. And she ordered a glass of milk at a restaurant. I almost got up and walked out. I'm like, I can't, I can't be party to this. Like, what are you, six? I'm like, children's pastor thing. I know, she's, she takes it seriously. Milk, milk. Just to watch the film around the inside of the glass as she's drinking it down, I'm like, I can't, I can't. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, Lord Jesus. Listen, our affections yoke us to the world, all right? So he comes out and says, he comes out and says, when, he, when he's saying that it's your affections that have constrained you, the next words out of his mouth is, don't be unequally yoked. If you have an old King James in here, there's no, there's no 
playing around. There's no softening of the blow. Do not be unequally yoked. I can talk about just that line all day and I don't really want to. But I will say this. If, you ever, if you've ever seen... Um, I know I was talking to Sadarshan about this in India because he was talking about ministers and pairing up um, older, more veteran ministers with younger ones, but how the strength is there in both and the strength is a little bit different. This one has strength and discipline to go exactly where it's supposed to go. The older one, the younger one has uh, a little more wild brute strength that needs to be trained, but but in a way because of because of who they are because of the fact that they're both oxen, um, they're not unequally yoked. They're yoked together with a purpose, even though there are some differences. And I, wanna, I want to um, work this out a little bit because most often we hear, we hear do not be unequally yoked in reference to marriage and really marriage only. Like basically uh, all you saved people don't uh, go marry someone who's not saved. That's kind of like, we boil this way down to just that, and then we kind of walk away from it. And then we use the, for your body is a temple, uh, the living temple of God. We use that in like a million other things, completely separate from the context of being unequally yoked. But the point is, is that while the covenant of marriage between a husband and a wife is perhaps one of the best ways to clearly see uh, the, the issues with being unequally yoked, this thing is actually so much bigger than that. And it actually spans across every area of our lives. Again, our affections are what bind us. Our affections are what ensnare us. Our affections are what will yoke us to something unequal. In a world of, uh, that celebrates equality among everything and everyone and everywhere, uh, we don't like to hear unequal. We put equal in our coffee. You know what I'm saying? We don't... We don't we, we, nobody's calling anything. Nobody, no, there's no marketing or branding mechanism that will use the word unequal because it leaves a bad taste in our mouth. Yet we will gladly allow our affections join us together with something that God never intended us for be, to be party with. And saints, what ends up happening is it brings us into bondage. So again, that traditional view, yes, it is uh, perfect for the context of marriage. And maybe we should talk about that for a second because I know there's some young singles in the room. And I want to say it without bringing shame or condemnation to anybody who's ever married an unsaved person. Because here's the deal. Like, we're praying for your spouse if they still don't know the Lord. And, and we're believing that the Lord will do something or use something or use someone to bring truth to that individual. The problem is, is that my personal conviction reading this is that what gets constrained, what gets pressed down and crushed when we join ourselves unequally in marriage is the calling and the destiny and the purpose on somebody's life. It will always be, whether we, whether we make the connection or not, it's there. We will always be hindered by the, the lack of salvation in our home. 
And so I want to encourage you, young people, you know, whatever you're doing, dating online or, you know, trying to find somebody at the singles group or just going bar hopping in Providence, whatever your mechanism is, do not be unequally yoked. As much as your affections, as much as your bowels, your innermost man, as much as, as, your, as your soul grieves for that spouse, do not settle for less than what heaven wants for you because it will bring bondage in your life. I always said, you know, in, in Bible school, it's always like, you need to marry someone here at Bible school. It's like, there's, there's this thing about keeping it all like inbred, you know, like you've got to, you know, because everyone here wants a spouse as bad as you. So you need to marry someone here. And I kind of had this thing like, I don't really need, uh, I don't need it to be a Christian girl. I just need her to be able to sing alto. Because I was very confident in my ability to lead her to the Lord before we got married. But you can't make an alto. Only God can make an alto. And God made mine for me. And fortunately, she was already a Christian. So, you know, it helped. That was just an added bonus. A little less work for me to, you know, do the missionary thing before the mister thing. So anyway, we got it. But our... I, I want to I go through these, these parallels because I believe that Paul is not just throwing a bunch of nonsense out on, on the letter. I think that his time was too precious. And I think that as the Spirit guided this pen, I believe every one of these parallels he's drawing for a reason. So I want to just quickly talk through them. Number one, he says, uh, do not be unequally yoked. He says, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Some of your Bibles say, what fellowship? The better translation there is partnership, okay? Because um, it's, it, it really, this, this comes into just everything from business to uh, friendship to uh, working together on a thing. Um, any, any partnership, anytime you pair up with someone else and there is righteousness present and anything other than righteousness present, there's going to there's gonna be an issue. Why? Because of values. Our values are different than the world. Our decision-making factors. Not the decisions we make, but the influence and the factor of why the motivation behind the decision is sourced in a different place. And so there will constantly be a rub. And for any of you who are in business with, uh, with an unbeliever or somebody who's not, and I know some people... When, it, when I'm talking to premarital, when I'm doing premarital counseling, I don't even encourage people who are filled with the Holy Spirit to marry somebody who's not baptized in the Holy Spirit. I say, like, get baptized in the Holy Spirit first. Because, and here's why. Well, Zach, isn't that a little extreme? Like, we're living in a really dark world. Can we just, like, be okay with the fact that they know Jesus? Yes, you can. But I'm saying it's better if they're baptized in the Holy Ghost. Why? Because when the fit hits the shan... And, and, and there's, we need to pray. Guess what? One of you is going to start praying in the spirit. And the other one is going to look at the one who's praying in the spirit and saying, oh, now it's all gone. Now she, she's crazy. You know what I'm saying? Now, we're, now it's, it's a lost cause. Instead of, no, where two are gathered. Like one sends a thousand, right? But two sends 10,000. And we're in a world today for such a time as this. We need to start sending 10,000. All right? To flight. 
Okay, so no partnership, all right? No partnership. If you're starting a business, I know we are in a church of entrepreneurial-minded people, people with vision, people with dreams, people who, are, people who are committed and invested in bringing things to life and putting flesh and blood on, uh, on whatever the Lord's put in your heart. And I love that about us. That's one of my favorite things about our church. And I wanna encourage you to, and, and say, hey, there is a, Brian Pudlow started a thing called City Gates here. And they meet... On Tuesday, on Wednesday, the first Wednesday of the month at, at 8 a.m., right down there in the river lobby. So uh, the first Wednesday of the month, if you are an entrepreneur and you're praying about starting something, guys, make your way, find it, open a hole in your schedule to sit with Christian business owners, to sit with Christian men and women who have walked the road you've walked with the values that you have and who have led their businesses ethically, not just for the sake of like being a good person, but because they wanna see the kingdom come through their business. And so do you. So rather than just forming partnerships out in the world because you wanna rub elbows with the right people and you want the right open doors, understand that Jesus did not need any unbelievers to do the Father's business, okay? Now, did he engage and interact with them? Yes, of course. Did he close the doors of his business to the the lost? Of course not. But his partnership was with the ones who were walking with him, who, who upheld the values that he taught. And that needs to be our intention today. Amen? So what does darkness and light have in common? And that word common, it's the, it's the Greek word koinonia. And, um, and it literally, um, it, it just means similarities, right? It means common, like commonly known, commonly had, just, just common, you know, sense. But nothing about light and darkness are common. In fact, they're polar opposites of each other. And so I think he throws this out there because so often When we end up joined up with something else, whatever it is, if it's a school system, if it's uh, it's a partnership or a friendship or a, a club or a whatever, anything that we end up coming, uh, coming alongside of, it, it exhausts and exacerbates the light that we're trying to shine because shining a light into just a deep black hole, it feels a little futile. <laughs> and so the point is, does that black hole not need the light? No. And this is the, this is the excuse that Christians have used for years. Well, you know, I'm going to be the light in that dark place. Okay. Why not partner up with some other bright lights? Why not make sure that the light that you have is complemented by others who are thinking and, and acting and living the same way as you so that you can put a dent in something, so that you can actually change the world because you sure as heck weren't meant to do it alone. And what harmony is there between Christ and Belial? Now, that word harmony, it's, um, it's from the Greek word, I love it, symphonesis, and it's where we get our word symphony from. And, uh, and every part, all the different parts, and that's the beauty of this word, is that the door is open for a million parts so long as they're working in conjunction with each other, so long as there's an understanding of, you know, that's the thing about the world. The world, everyone's clamoring to be first chair. 
in the world, everyone's clamoring to lead. Everyone's clamoring, everyone's clawing um, to, to get out in front, to be the one at the front, to be the one you know, who's being heard. But in the kingdom, it's not like that. And so what happens is in the kingdom, we know who we are. There's a confidence in the part we play. And whether you're second chair or, or 102nd chair, there's a peace on that. And there's a significance to your part. And there's an encouragement from your role in the body that a symphony is being created and it won't be the same without your part. And so whenever... whenever um, in the church, it's always like red lights to me whenever people have issues with, uh, you know, leadership or are, are clamming or are climbing or clawing to, to have some sort of position of authority. Because they're, they're, it's so clear, like that is exactly what Jesus had to keep correcting in the apostles, right? Who, but can I sit next to you? 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 Who gets that seat in the kingdom? Who's going to be the most important? Who's going, to be the, who, who's going to be second chair to you, Lord? Because I think they had it figured out that at least he was first chair. What symphony is there? What harmony is there? In Belial, some uh, translations um, in other places in Scripture, uh, he's written as Beliar. Uh, it's a word for Satan but it's also sort of a metaphorical wide brush for every pagan god, every pagan idol, anything that we set up and bow down to. Right. Isn't an idol only if I worship it? Yes. But worship is so much bigger than what we give it credit for. Anything we bow to, anything that, that's gonna influence our decisions, anything that's gonna shift us away from the exact and perfect role and, and, and path the Lord has prepared for us? What harmony is there between Christ who sets that path and anything that would deviate us from it? Saints, I think our eyes have to be opened to really what's happening in the world. We, we keep our head in the sand, not out of innocence, but out of willful ignorance because we don't want our conveniences disrupted. And even if your conveniences, uh, like who you are in the church and your effort to, to uh, become something more, not for the sake of the kingdom, but for the sake of your own affections, it brings bondage. It brings bondage. That deepest desire, and I want to say deepest, darkest desire, because it's not of the light if it's clamoring and clawing and persisting that there, there has to be some equality. We've got to be careful. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial? And I'll say one last thing about that. I'll ask this, and I, I hope that we can answer honestly. Is there cacophony in your life? Is there chaos? Is there noise? Is there lack of harmony somewhere? And this is what was beautiful about Jesus. Even as he engaged 
with the world, even as he sat down at Zacchaeus's house, even as he as he's dialoguing with with uh, the prostitute or the the one in adultery or the or the the thief or the tax collector or the whoever, even as he's engaging, he is at peace because part of the symphony orchestrated in his life was to do that at that time. Part of that song that heaven was singing through him, that the Father was conducting through him. There were, there were, there were parts of that masterpiece um, that, that, uh, that were sung to the world in harmony, perfect harmony. And so I am not gonna buy it anymore that it's like, well, Zach, I have to send my kids to public school so that they can be a light in the darkness. Why are we doing that to our kids? You do it. If that's what heaven is singing through you, you go get a job in the public school and stop looking at your like second and third grader and, and pushing them off as sheep among wolves, not prepared, not covered, not shepherded. We gotta be so careful. And I'm like, I'm like, if you're sensing a note of like lost patience with me, pray that it's restored. Because, because what ends up happening, guys, and it's like clockwork, we, we get the calls. I was just writing an email this week. Uh, we get the calls. We get the cries. We get the sobs. We get the, the Tuesday night interventions. We get the, the, the crisis and trauma moments of, well, my kid is, is wayward, and they, you know, they're addicted, and they're lost, and they're whatever. And you know, I raised them in church. You raised them in church, but you taught them that everything out there was more important than in here. Well, we only took the summers off for, for softball and the winters off for basketball and, you know, the springs off for golf and the falls off for soccer. I, I don't know what else to say except that there will be cacophony unless there is a peace within you that that is exactly the song that you and your family needs to be singing right now, which... Maybe it is. And I'm not going to be the one to, to deny that if that's what the Lord is really doing in you. But you better be sure. And if it really is him, it will not render noise. Right. It will not render chaos. It will not render... You fill in the blank. If it's in your life right now, it's not the Lord. And then he says, um, he says this. Well, what has a believer in common, and some of your Bibles will say, what does a believer share with an unbeliever? And that word common is not koinonia. It actually, uh, that word share, it, it comes from more of an idea of like what profit share, like what inheritance share, what portion is actually how it's rendered in a lot of Bibles, what portion. And I love that, I love that idea of this because it does come down to our inheritance. And saints, as believers, as sons and daughters of God, which is, he, he's kind of rounding this out and getting there, right? And I will be your God and you will be called my people and I will be a father to you and you will be sons and daughters to me. Being sons and daughters of God means that we live toward that portion. We live toward that share. 
We are invested in what's invested in us. The world has no rubric or metric for that until they come to know Jesus and share his values. And, and guys, we have worked so hard to cultivate a gray area between righteousness and lawlessness. We have worked so hard to, to create a space where we're in the world and not of it. Has another one that is just so adulterated. We work so hard for it, but there is no portion that is similar. There is no inheritance. There is no share. We are invested in a different business. And so what's coming to us and how we're invested in that looks completely different. And finally, and I love this one, what agreement? What agreement has the temple of the living God with idols. I come out of agreement. I'm, I think I'm gonna sing it. Just a cappella like that. Na, 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 na. Except I don't know the words. That's the problem with me singing anything. The words aren't important, it's the heart. Agreement. Oh. Guys, how many of you find yourself agreeing? with the world. How often and how easy is it? In fact, how motivated are we so often, so motivated to find similarities with the world? When we're trying to talk to somebody about the Lord, I feel like sometimes, you know, Paul, Paul is like pushing the boundaries when he says, oh, look, right here, you have a, something dedicated to the unknown God. And even your own poets, right? In him, we live and move and have our, our being. He, he's trying to find some common ground there and, and is pointing to the fact that there's something inside of this world. There is something inside of the lost that calls and cries and begs for a living God. And that is the beginning and the end of what we have in common. The only difference is that part inside of us is satisfied. That need inside of us is met. That void and vacuum inside of us is filled. What agreement? What could we agree on? Some of you, 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 your favorite thing to agree with people on is politics. It's also your favorite thing to disagree with people on. It's like a package deal. And, uh, and what I have found for me, all right, so I'm going to tell you this about me. What I have found is that people who do not share the values of Jesus Christ, people who do not share the, the, the portion and inheritance of heaven, people who do not share in the same truths that, that I walk in, I find it very easy to come into agreement with them regarding politics. And the Lord started to convict me about it because politics in and of themselves have become an idol. Politics in and of themselves have become a grand influencer of decisions in our lives. Politics have become something we've actually bowed to in fear. Are you telling me not to vote? No, I'm not telling you not to vote. I'm telling you, come out of agreement. Yes. 
come out of agreement. When we, when we fraternize ourselves with the things of this world, man, what, Pastor John, how often is it that when you're in deliverance sessions that you end up having to come against agreements and familiar spirits that have come through Masonic lodges and fraternities and brotherhoods that are not of the Lord? Regardless of whether or not they acknowledge a higher power, these uh, uh, societies and associations and all these different things, they, they, what's that? The Elks Lodge, yeah, and the Moose Lodge and the Dunkin' Donuts Lodge. <laughs> There's a lot of lodges out there. But I, uh, I'll tell you what, what ends up happening is we come into agreement. We come into covenant with these things, whether or not you sign your name on the bottom line or not. They, they become a, a yes or no decision maker over your life. And, and what happens your affections, my affections, my desire to be a part of something, that thing that, that inside of me longs or is jealous of the ones who, are, who have this or whatever, my affections end up bringing me into bondage that the Lord doesn't want for me. It is not the truth of the word. It is not the power of the gospel that ensnares us. It is not the power of the Holy Spirit that imprisons us. Well, ever since I got saved, I can't do this anymore. No, you got it all wrong. I get it all wrong. It's so easy to, to draw this connection between who God is and what he's doing and now what we can't do. When in reality, what he's doing is drawing us away. Our affections lead us back into that prison cell. What agreement between the temple of God and idols. There are a lot of idols. The American dream is an idol. So I want to say this because I feel like y'all are probably thinking this is a cult right now. (laughs) I will dwell in them and walk among them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out. It's not a cult. It's a command. Come out. Would you stand with me? After saying all that, I want to make room. I want to keep room. I want to make sure there's room in us for the Lord to orchestrate a symphony, a harmony of engagement with the world. And this, this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean, uh, you know, that your kid can't play on a little league team. But I want to offer this as, as a, a precedent and sort of a, uh, a pivoting factor in that decision-making. The more involved in the world we are, the more passionate about the things of God we have to be. The more involved in the world we are, the more passionate about the things of God we absolutely have to be. That's the only way it works. That is the only way it works. Otherwise, 
you will walk to that big black hole with that little bitty flashlight and run out of batteries or just give up and shut it off. If you're going to walk up to that big black hole and that's the symphony, that's the song, that's where God's called you, you better have a one bajillion watt flashlight. You better have a one bajillion lumen work light that is plugged into a never-ending source. If this is where you're called, and I get it, and there are people who are called to dark places, and they don't even, it's like, how often are you going to come up for air? But you know what? People are actually getting saved in those places. There's actually transformation taking place in those places because it's part of the symphony. It's part of the song. And there's peace in their lives. And that peace is heard in a world of darkness and chaos. But don't be so bold in here as to think that every dark hole you walk up to, you're called to. Or every dark place you walk past, that, that that's going to be a, a, a good um, expenditure of your resources. We end up unequally yoked. And when you are yoked up with something that is not your equal, mark my words, you will walk in circles. If you walk anywhere at all. Why am I in bondage to this one little area? Because our affections have created covenant between us and things that are not of God. Individuals that are not sent from heaven for us to be paired up with. Before we go, I want to take a time to respond to this because I sense an urgency on it. And I feel like, I feel like coming out of agreement and breaking covenants, breaking soul ties. There's a reason why this word is for this church for this day, because the Lord wants us coming out. Therefore, come out. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate. If you're in this place today and you're, you're struggling with how to navigate a relationship of whatever caliber, I want to spend some time in prayer with you. If that's you and you're in this room and it may be somebody that you're dating, it may be somebody, a business partner, it may be a friend, it may be a cousin who uh, you know, you're working on, but you feel like they're also working on you a little bit. If that's you, would you be brave enough to step out of your seat and meet me down here? Is there anybody in this room this morning? And you'd say, yeah. I gotta figure this out. It's hard. Yeah, come on down here. Come on down here. I find I'm moving to the rhythm of your grace. Fragrance is intoxicating, and I see crippling. I find I'm moving to the rhythm of your grace. Your fragrance is intoxicating, and I see crippling. All right, I'm gonna say this. Keep coming if you're if you need to. Keep coming. 
If this is about your marriage, you're not getting divorced, okay? I know, some of y'all are like, is he giving me the green light to get out of this thing? I'm not, okay? Okay? If this is about your marriage, you're not getting divorced. We're gonna pray a different prayer with you. If this is about anything else, come out. Come out. Come out. I feel like there's some people down here and you're not feeling like a son or a daughter. You've lost a little bit of that, of that sonship or that daughterhood. You've lost a little bit of the magic of just climbing up into your dad's lap and just resting and being at peace. You're missing that harmony in your life. And some of you, you can think back to a time and I'm gonna ask you to do it right now. Think back to a time when there was peace. Think back to a time. Let the Holy Spirit lead you back to a time when that chaos wasn't there, when there was harmony in your life. And I wanna ask you, what's different? What has changed? And I will be bold enough to say that, that whatever this unequal thing is, whatever this, this relationship or partnership or fellowship or agreement, whatever it is, it's a big part of it. It's a big part of the difference between you walking and living in your calling and you barely making it by because there's so much noise. So I'm gonna pray a prayer first for the folks that this is not your marriage. So I don't care even if you're engaged to somebody right now and the Lord is, is speaking to you about it, stop ignoring the voice. Stop ignoring the voice. Well, maybe if we're living in sin, maybe if we just uh, stop sinning, maybe that would fix it. It won't fix it. It might help, but it won't fix it. Okay, come out, come out, come out. That doesn't just mean come out of the, the sexual part of it. That doesn't just mean come out of what, whatever compromise there is along the way. It means the relationship itself is a compromise. The relationship itself is an open door for, for toxicity to enter. And let me tell you, the fact that it is your affection is not lost on me and it's not lost on the Lord. He put desires in us, yes, sir. but they were meant to be disciplined and controlled. And we live in a world that glorifies lack of self-control. We live in a world that teaches us if it feels good. And some of you are like, well, well what feels, it's, these are tender emotions of, of sympathy and, 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 and benevolence and happiness and meeting needs and how it meets a need in me to do this and that. None of that's lost on me. The Lord understands this better than you do. But there is a path for you. And there is a partnership for you. There is something to come into agreement with. And when we can come into that place, when we can link up and come into covenant in the way the Lord called us to, that sonship is restored and that daughterhood is restored and that sense of freedom in our lives and full range of motion. So Lord, I pray over my brothers and sisters down here. 
God, I thank you, Lord, for the conviction of your spirit. I thank you, Lord, that, that, that you have placed upon us, as Ron said this morning, robes of righteousness. I thank you, Lord, for the sacrifice that was made so that we could be covered. But God, I pray that we would make no room in our lives for fig leaves. We would make no room in our emotions. We would allow our affections no line to pursue that which is not of you. Saints, this is, includes a prayer of repentance. And so let's do that. You pray that prayer. Don't let me pray it for you, but let's do it together. Lord, we repent. I repent of places where I have come into agreement and come into covenant with things that were unclean, with relationships that were impure. God, I repent this morning of, of places where I, I uh, allowed a together walk to become a, a, an idol in my life. God, teach me this morning how to make sure that my engagement with the lost and the world is limited at wherever your song is sung, whatever parts you desire to play. And Father, we pray for a restoration of peace, of harmony, of joy, real joy, not the happiness that our affections pursue, but of real joy rooted in our salvation, joy that, that is no longer diminished by the lack of salvation that we have come too familiar with. God, I pray for strength. I pray for that fruit of your spirit. Remind us that self-control is a fruit of your spirit. So baptize us again. Yeah, God. Baptize us again in your spirit. We need your power. We need your grace. Lord, I pray for supernatural wisdom in how to end what needs ending. That which is destined for destruction, God. I pray, God, that we would busy ourselves ending, terminating, cutting off, breaking off, uprooting, tearing down, dragging out anything in our lives. If it means closing businesses, God, I pray for a faith and a boldness to walk away at a loss, God, because of what we gain. I pray for a fearlessness of, yes. of the unknown. Well, Zach, pastor, I don't know. I, I haven't been alone in so long. Is there somebody in here struggling with homosexuality? Everybody's always so quick to raise their hand for that. Dead serious. Is there somebody in here and you're struggling with a, in a homosexual relationship and maybe it hasn't crossed certain lines but there are affections there there's a desire there Jesus, Jesus, Jesus let's pray for it anyway in Jesus name in Jesus name Lord we lift up those who may be in this room this morning who have found solace and fraternity in um, 
like-minded people. Yeah, yeah. Folks who are transitioning or who are non-binary. And they, they, in an effort to find peace, they have, they have found themselves in a den of lions devouring peace. God, I pray for strength this morning. I pray for an uprising of identity in their lives. No longer trying to seek and find that in the world, but Lord, those uh, uh, would seek and find it first and foremost as sons and daughters. God, I pray that the affections, the desires, the emotions, the, the attraction to same sex, God, I pray that that thing would be neutralized within them and that a healthy sexuality would be restored. A God-given sexuality would take its place. Lord, we submit this into your hands. You're the only one that can do this. Lord, I pray that as we hear your heart say, come out, that we would come out of of, of hormonal treatments, that we would come out of, of defining ourselves with alternative pronouns, that we would come out of that place of confusion and chaos. And that we would find ourselves in what real freedom looks like. God, I pray for fearlessness to rise up among people Lord, who, who, who have had to hide this, who have been afraid of this, and the enemy has preyed upon that fear. And God, I just, I ask this morning, Lord, that those, those who are struggling in this arena would just find a place to be able to pour this out before you. Find a trusted spiritual father or mother or pastor or someone who they can share with and receive good counsel. Finally, God, I pray for those who are in unequal, unequally yoked marriages. Lord, we lift up those covenants to you. And God, I pray that um, that that air and thought of just saying, well, this is just how it is, that, that feeling of settling and just saying, okay, you know what? We've been married 20 years. She's not gonna come to the Lord or he's not gonna get saved. And so I'm just gonna go to church by myself for the rest of my life. God, I pray that that, that, that settling and that um, permissiveness would leave us in Jesus' name. God, I pray for a renewed passion, a renewed prayer life, and for faith-filled prayers. God, I pray for uh, husbands and wives who would walk around their house and anoint their homes and anoint the pillows of their spouses and pray, God, for, for breakthrough, pray for intervention and pray that the salvation in their home would become louder. Not because their own voices are getting louder, but because heaven is getting louder through us. So God, we pray for angels to wrap themselves around those lost spouses. God, I pray for 
one uh, crossing of paths after another, after another, after another of people who would begin to speak the language, who would begin to speak the truth in the way that that spouse needs to hear it. And so we lift up those unsaved spouses and we say, come into the Lord in Jesus' name. Lord, we trust you with this and we need your grace to walk it out. We love you. And we pray these things in faith and in confidence, not because of who we are, but because of who you are. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you, and have the best day of your life.